Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. My name is Taylor Bickle. Uh, last class session we talked about Spy Kids and today we're going to do Spy Kids 3D. Um, I'm skipping over Spy Kids 2 because a lot of the things that we could talk about in that one would get covered between between this one and the and and the original Spy Kids as well as Once Upon a Time in Mexico. So, and doing two trilogies uh, seemed a bit excessive as well because um, we've already got the El Mariachi trilogy because that's what Once Upon a Time in Mexico completes and then we've got this film here. Um, so, yeah, I, I it, it just seems excessive. Um, plus, uh, this gives us another chance to talk about 3D technology and the u utilization of it. Um, I think you're going to find a few common threads between this podcast or between this class session with Robert Rodriguez as well as the one on Hugo with Martin Scorsese and the one on Dial In for Murder with Alfred Hitchcock. Um, I think we're going to find some common threads there and I think that's okay because um, I think there's there's some good things to keep in mind when dealing with something like 3D or like VR or anything else that could be that's been exploited as a gimmick, but you have the chance to use it for storytelling purposes. So let's talk about why Robert Rodriguez did a 3D movie. As a kid, he always liked the idea of 3D, but he found that a lot of the movies that were released in 3D, he didn't like. So he wanted to bring it back in a way that would work. And this just seemed like a perfect opportunity for it. I mean, what's better for 3D than a kid's movie set in a video game? I mean, it... If ever there was a story built for 3D cinema, I, I think that would be it. Um, in the book, Robert Rodriguez interviews um, in, the, in an interview entitled Moving in Stereo, he said, if you look at stereo 3D movies in the past, you see why they didn't work. The stories weren't very good. The stereoscopic effect was not very good. And it wasn't a crucial element in the story. So I think people just assumed that the idea wasn't a good one. What I wanted to do was form the movie around the experience of being immersed in a virtual world. When you and the main characters put on the glasses, you enter the world of the game. And that's exactly what 3D should be. It should be this integration tool. It's, 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 it's a way of integrating your story with the audience's experience. You, you're, you're bringing the audience that much closer to the story, it, but doing it in a way that makes sense, doing it in a way that's effective and enhances the story doesn't subtract from it or di or distract from it it's it's so important to remember that everything we have available to us is a tool and if the movie you're making is like a house that you're building you need to have the right tools for the job in order to build the best house possible so that when people walk into the house or the people who own the house, when they come in, it, it, it's not only aesthetically pleasing, but it's functional, it's practical, it makes sense, it's intuitive, and it just feels comfortable. That's the best illustration I can come up with off the top of my head. It, it really needs to be, there's, there should be no tool that you use that should stand out from the others. So, for example, since the movie takes place in a game, he wanted each level to look different. But not only that, each level of the game needed to escalate like a real game and like a story does. Stories escalate toward a climax. 
And the other advantage of this is that then he could also create these really visually interesting scenes and incorporate 3D into them. One of the great advantages of 3D is being able to bring things forward at the audience. So he was able to design levels that he would intentionally be able to get stuff to fly at the audience and not make it a gimmick, make it part of being in the game. Remember, all these tools are, are, are just different technologies that we have, but they aren't the story. In, in, the, in the audio commentary on the, on the DVD or Blu-ray of Spy Kids, whatever it is you, know, you, you might get your hands on, he says, technology is not the art form. The art of storytelling and movie making and moving pictures isn't tied to film or celluloid or any of the old technology. And I think I can point to Pixar, who are making some of the best movies out there story-wise. And it's because of their technology. Their technology allows them to reshoot their entire movie if they want to. Once they're done looking at it and they realize this story point doesn't work, this doesn't work, let's just basically reshoot. You can't do that on a real movie. You can reshoot some things, but you can't do what Pixar did with Toy Story 2, where basically eight months before the release, they can just reshoot the whole movie. And what he's saying is, as te technology has grown to a point that it has allowed us to do things that were impossible before, which means we need to not get stuck on the old way of doing things. We need to be able to move forward and, and capitalize on, on, on what we have available to us. We really need to be able to, to use everything, all of our resources to their fullest potential to serve the art form, to serve the art of storytelling. My my favorite lines in there are the first two where he says, technology is not the art form. I know, I know me personally, I have a nostalgic love for film. And I think that it is, I, I think it can be important to have some training on film because I know at least for me and I know for other people as well, it makes you more careful. It helps sharpen your eye for detail because all you have is what's in the viewfinder, but you don't really know exactly how the light is playing on it because that's not reflected in the viewfinder. You don't really know the depth of field. That's not reflected in the viewfinder. There's all these things that you have to pay more attention to when you just have the viewfinder and you can't click and see a developed image right in front of you. But at the end of the day, digital technology allows us to do things that film was unable to do or even just exponentially more difficult to do and more time consuming um, and certainly in, in a lot of cases more expensive you know like and and I'm not a huge fan of some of the LED panels that I've used but you know what they're light they're cheap you don't have to find an outlet for them you can take them anywhere uh, so long as you have batteries that are that are fully charged you know there's 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 technologies at our disposal that allow us to do things that would have been so much more difficult to do in the past or would have been so much more expensive or sometimes even impossible. And we need to, we need to break free from some of our nostalgic holds on certain kinds of te technology and move forward in a way that can help us tell our stories that much better. Um, so, for example, there were there were things that Robert Rodriguez did in this film. This is the this is actually the third movie he shot on digital. He shot Once Upon a Time in Mexico before Spy Kids Two, uh, for various reasons. We can get into that on that class session. Then he shoot then he shoots Spy Kids Two digitally. Then he shoots this movie digitally. And so things that he would do, he would just roll on the rehearsals. 
he would just just have the actor start rehearsing and just roll the camera um because often without the actors knowing because he in in his experience most of his actors i would imagine this this mostly goes for the young children would give much more natural performances in rehearsal when there was no pressure and so he'll just he'll just roll on the rehearsal and just let it go and just see what happens um Something else that would have been something else that was incredibly difficult to do in the film days, but is much has become much easier now with digital technology is you can watch playback on any take. And Rodriguez is the second director that I've known um, to to use playback as a way to direct actors. It's not the best technique for some people. You as a filmmaker need to understand your talent. Like if you work with a stage actor they aren't used to watching themselves back. And so that can get in their own heads. And then they're ruined for the rest of the day. You're never going to get anything out of them. Um, at least not, not anything good. I mean, potentially. That, 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 that is one unintended consequence of, of showing the actor their own footage. But people that are used to seeing themselves a lot are going to be much more open and willing to just just watching playback with you. And while you're at the monitor, you guys can be talking about what they did and whether or not, you know, they need to change. And actors actors can be very self-correcting. They have that ability to see what they did cuz they know what they were trying to do and you can see right there on set whether or not it worked, whether or not whatever it was they were trying to communicate in their role they were effective in doing. Um, and so Rodriguez did this with Stallone um, in this movie with with Sylvester Stallone. He would take him over to the monitor and show him his takes and they would kind of figure it out from there. The other thing that the digital cameras really allowed him to do was to shoot 3D the way it should have been all along. Because remember, the digital cameras up to this point were still very, very new. It was pretty much him and George Lucas that were using these cameras. I mean, there weren't a lot of people, a lot of filmmakers at that level that were really utilizing them. Um, he said on the 3D workflow, um, it was very difficult to do. In fact, now that I've, and, and, and this also comes from, from, from that same interview, Moving in Stereo, he says, it was very difficult to do. In fact, now that I've made a movie using the latest in high definition cameras and 3D digital equipment, I don't even know how filmmakers even ever pulled it off before. They were shooting blind. They had to lock down the camera, set a convergence, then let it ride. It's just impossible to see what you're doing when shooting on film. But for stereo 3D, it's critical. So, like, for example, when Hitchcock shot Dial in for Murder, he couldn't move the camera. Because I, I don't really understand 3D that well, but my understanding is you shoot two cameras side by side, and you set how based on lenses and other things, you set how far apart they are, as in, like, 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 imagine each camera was an eyeball, right? You decide how far apart the eyeballs are. And that affects how the image comes together in 3D. You can get weird ghosting, you can get all kinds of awful effects if it doesn't work right. And in the film days, so when Hitchcock shoots Dial in for Murder, he can't move the camera now. Because once it's set, it's set because they didn't have the technology to see what they were doing or to change the convergence mid-shot. They couldn't change how far apart the eyeballs were mid-shot. And then there's also something about a forward and a backward. and like there's, there's all these kinds of things that we have now that you're able to do during the shot, as the shot is moving, that you couldn't have done at that time. So 
digital cinema has allowed us to bring back 3D in a way that it never could have been before, um, which is great for those of us who feel 3D is is a is an important part for whatever story we're trying to tell. Other things that 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 Rodriguez used. Um, he scored this movie himself. It, it, this is the second or third movie he's scored himself by this point in time. And he enjoys doing that because he can write the scores. He's writing the script. And instead of scoring to images, he's scoring to characters and subtext and what's going on on the page, what's going on in the story. Um, so he can be writing the music all the way back to when he's writing the script. Which, which really helped him in this movie because if they had tried to hire someone, this, this movie was, so, was done so quickly and under such a tight schedule that by the time they had the final cut of the movie, when you would give it to someone to score, that guy would have only had two weeks to come in and score an entire movie. That's just not realistic. So thankfully, Rodriguez did it this way because he was able to, to have music before they were even shooting. And he did that on his keyboard at home using samples that he had on his computer. There was a time when that really wasn't possible or you'd get bad synth music, you know. But by 2003, when this movie comes out, he has real live samples of, you know, every instrument you can imagine doing everything possible that he's just playing with on a computer, you know, on his, on his keyboard attached to his computer. And he's able to score seamlessly and, 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 and without any hindrance and without having to get a full orchestra and without having to do all that kind of stuff. He just is doing it right there. In his garage, actually. And then that allowed him to, to do some really important stuff. Like, for example, um, because he could do the score so early, there was a time when uh, Sly Stallone came up to him and, and, and asked him, like, is my performance right? Is this, is this what we're going for? And Rodriguez said, well, you know, I, I have your character's theme here. So let's listen to that. And let's see if it matches what you're doing. And they were able to do that on the set. And and not only not only did, did both Stallone and Rodriguez feel that, that what he was doing was definitely on the right course, but it allowed him so not only not only gave both of them confidence in what they were doing, but it also allowed him to lean into it even more. So yeah, I mean that's that's Spy Kids 3D. What what we're gonna talk about next is we're gonna talk about Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Um, and then we're gonna do Kill Bill Volume One and Kill Bill Volume Two. I'm splitting those up into two separate episodes because I thought that would be a nice homage to the way it was released and kind of the way the whole the whole thing structured anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's all we have. Um, keep your eye out for, um, for new uh, Robert Rodriguez method stuff on the Hitchcock University YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to. Um, there'll be – those come out first of every month um, – on top of that, we've got there's there's always news and updates and stuff, so you never miss anything on on Facebook, uh, just the Hitchcock University Facebook page and Hitch underscore U, which is our Twitter handle. Uh, you can follow us there as well as you can use those to just reach out to us um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns. You can also reach out to us uh, uh, through email Hitchcock University at gmail dot com. Yeah, that's that's all we've got. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, please give us a like, a rating, a review, a comment, something, wherever it is you listen to our podcast, whether that's uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, what have you. Uh, thank you again for listening. Um, 
This has been Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the masters, and we will talk to you again in two weeks. Thank you so much.